uh, is handling the security for Nickelback easier? And that's because they're Canadian, by the way. Hey, this is Party Like a Rockstar podcast, and I'm your host, Joel. Today's episode is brought to you by Misha's Kind Foods. They're an LA-based small business making the world's finest non-dairy cheese on the market today. They're lactose-free, paleo, keto, kosher, perev, and 100% vegan. If you like what you see, check out the next video. If you like this video, please subscribe and like by clicking the little round button on the bottom right. To learn more about me or our other guests on the show, go to joelrody.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. The handle is Joel Rody. If you haven't already read my book, Memoir of a Rody, it's now available through Amazon and paperback Kindle or as an audiobook. I hope you enjoy the show. I don't know. What do you want me to do? No, it's, I think some of that stuff, at least when I talk to guests, it's such low-hanging fruit um, where yeah. you're kind of like, like coming up, I'm recording with Bo from Dukes of Hazard, and he's got this crazy backstory. And obviously, I'm going to talk about Dukes of Hazard, but... I'm not going to talk about people last year who were pissed at the Confederate flag car. I'm not so going to talk the, about. Uh, is he the blonde he was, brother? Yeah, he was Bo. Yeah, he was my neighbor. Damn. So I walk into world. this. I walk into the house, and they're doing this estate sale, and I cruise into the house, and I'm like, "Man, this guy really likes Duke's Hazard." I just didn't put it together <laughs> that it was his house, and there's like, there was a photo of him that's like six foot tall, and I'm kind of thinking like, "Hmm." But at the end of the day, I was the dude's house. So I bought a, uh, I bought a little painting of some shoes. I remember, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. He was my neighbor. And then the Dukes of Hazard car used to be at my other's neighbor's house all the time because that dude's friends with a uh, blues guitar player. Amazing. He's probably in his 20s. Uh, Teddy Wade Shepard. Yep. So that yep. car was always in the driveway and my buddies, you know, you drive by and you do one of these of like, oh, I want that car so fucking bad. And you go back this way. <laughs> so funny story. And I'm friends with Kenny and I literally just saw him a couple weeks ago on tour. And he uh, he was elected into the, I believe, the Blues Hall of Fame or something in Memphis or Nashville, whatever it is. Well, it turned, someone went back, how people go into all the celebrities years ago. He supported that friend you're talking about, the Confederate car. It's and he's very deal. pro. And so... Kenny Wade, they asked him about it. He goes, I'm not taking down that tweet. I'm not, I, he's my friend. And he goes, that Confederate flag card does not represent racism. To me, that represents a good time and all this stuff. Well, they denounced him from the Hall of Fame. And, and uh, he said, fuck those guys. And his father. Yes. It's crazy. What the fuck? I mean, this guy's yeah. done a lot for music. What the fuck? You know? It's crazy. People are just so stupid. Yeah, I thought it was sad. I forgot I brought it up with somebody who toured with him on here. But it was the whole like, I don't know. It's it's not cool because when you've spent so many years of your life pr with progress, it's kind of nasty to have some bullshit pull you back down. Yeah, and it's just like, dude, that guy's done more for black relations and African Americans in music than anyone outside that isn't black. And you're gonna tell me that this guy's a racist because he's his friends with the guy that owned the car. It's just like, dude. Well, who no, cares? it's his car. It's his car, and then he, but he doesn't have the exact emblem on it. He changed right. it a little bit. Uh, he put his own spin, I guess, is the best way to put it. But fuck, does the car look cool? <laughs> yeah, totally. It's really cool. He has an old truck too that's badass. Yes. So, anyway, <laughs> totally random. How we doing, Justin? I'm good. You guys hear me? Is that my levels okay? 
Yeah. And we were at the yeah. point. It didn't even matter if you logged on, dude. We were partying over here. It sounds great. Now, <laughs> it's so funny, dude. You talk about the Stars and Bars thing. I live in New Orleans, man. And down here, black folks fly Stars and Bars. It's a different thing. It's a different yeah. thing. The Deep South has a grasp of what that flag represents, quite honestly. And it's it's really Northerners and like a lot of these other places that have really no understanding of it and how it affects the area. You see well, they had all here, yeah. you know, in Hollywood Forever, the cemetery in Los Angeles. It's a pretty famous spot. They they put movies up, and you can watch horror films in the in the cemetery. But there's uh, the you know one of the Ramones is buried there. Alfred Johnny's Hitchcock's there. is there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's a cool yeah. spot. Uh, I think it's fun to do this to do the film thing. And they had right in the front as you drive in, there was an area that was saved for Confederate soldiers, and they pulled the stone out that says that that section what it's for so it's just there but all of them were confederate soldiers who had left and died in the la area i presume so i always find that ironic because they'll have a lot of old actors buried in there who who were basically notorious pedophiles and everything else back in the day so it's just like <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like where do you draw the line on what they think is decency i don't know remember okay. the john wayne one man john wayne made that super racist statement that they throw out all the time and you're you know you read it and you want to think the best and you read it and you're like that one's pretty fucking bad <laughs> well yeah they probably want to well look at, yeah they probably just want to do they do away with them how many indians he killed on film it was the horses man they would they would put like a lineup and then they would just run the horses and kill them all so and then what was it was it the nascar one with uh Tom Cruise, remember where he killed all the birds on the beach, and that's when they uh, Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder, man, and yeah. that's where they'd get the guys to cruise. Anyway, let's introduce you guys. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're the one who said you had all afternoon. <laughs> sure, maybe, sure. Maybe that was me. Ah. Justin Press is a Silver Spear security lead. He's a former, in this moment, security head. He's the social media engagement manager for Shiprocked, and he did A&R for the music experience. He's also the co-host of the Making Waves podcast. John Guarnieri. Yeah. John Guarnieri is a security... Close enough. <laughs> Close enough. Now, what does it say? Is that wrong? Guarnieri. Guarnieri. You're good. John Guarnieri. Yeah. is the current security director for Shinedown and Smith and & Myers. He's the COO of Silver Spear Security. That's like a tongue twister. I didn't notice till I said it aloud, man. <laughs> Silver Spear Security, and amongst other acts, handles the security for Nickelback. So my question, my first question is for you guys, is, uh, is handling the security for Nickelback easier? And that's because they're Canadian, by the way. That wasn't. Uh, I would well just to kind of. I'm the COO, um, so I actually answer to my CEO, Chris. Uh, okay. But Nickelback, they're the they're some of the best guys in the industry. They're awesome. They take care of their families, their crew, their everyone. I think associated with them is just awesome. Um, I know a lot of the people like to give them flack and will say, oh, this band sucks, or they don't, whatever. I mean, they still pack and sell out stadiums and arenas around the world. Uh, and so 
their security is kind of it's it's they don't do a lot of beat greets uh they don't charge people for beat greets so all their beat greets they do are through the radio stations and different promo giveaways which is kind of cool it makes your job easier right i assume no and it does um and they're also just really down-to-earth guys that sure they got their stalkers and their their over-the-top people and uh but from a security standpoint they don't create a lot of work uh which is great uh because they actually are very they're not even on social media as individuals except mike uh the bass player uh but yeah i mean there's the standard there's been bomb threats and stuff like that but there's nothing crazy out there what's mike the e- mike's uh, email <laughs> <laughs> No, he's uh he's pretty active on social media. Mike Kroger, he's uh he's really good with uh, talking with the fans and stuff. He's kind of like their their mouthpiece when people want to get snippy on Twitter. He'll he gets pretty creative with their comeback, so it's pretty good. Nice. Yeah, I can't speak to their security, but uh, my former boss Lane used to book initially book them when they were coming up on that first album, and they would route them through about six or seven Texas dates. And to this day, he's still the promoter they go to. Um, when they when they're going through texas for dates because they're they're totally loyal to people who were loyal to them and believed in them back in the day so they are like john said they're down to earth super good guys and just that kind of like respect they give to people who looked out for them that speaks volumes about them yeah i mean there's a lot of hate in the world but the truth is you can count your money all the way to the fucking bank too (laughs) nickelback they might have been the biggest band in the world yeah, I mean, when you sell uh, close to 70 million records, uh, you, you, it's, it's pretty tough to beat. Uh, this, I don't care what band you are, what genre. Uh, they just keep, they, again, they keep selling tickets, they keep selling merch, they keep, uh, they keep just producing. And they, everywhere they go, everyone can sing at least three or four of their songs at the top of their lungs, and they always do. So haters go to hate, I guess. Yeah, I think the thing with them is that they always get criticized for this kind of formula they have. But you know what? Name me a band who have success that doesn't. ACDC has a formula. I was going to you know, say ACDC. Aerosmith has a formula. They all have a formula. That's why you know within 10 seconds who that band is. And that right there is what success really is at the end of the day. Is like, and you know what? If you're still in people rattle around in people's heads, whether they love you or hate you, you know what? You still got their attention. And that's super important. And like Chad is a songwriter. He writes for Celine Dion and everyone else. He just... He's an artist. That's what artists are supposed to do. And as far as the punk thing, I always laugh at the punk thing. You know, when you're a punk guy, you're supposed to end your punk years around 26, 27. You're no longer the angry young guy. But you look now, those guys are all dads. They're all sponsored by whether it's vans or guitar companies or whatever. But I also find it funny. You have events, which I love, like punk rock bowling, where you have the circle jerks who all in their 60s coming out and singing the same songs they sang when they were angry 20-year-olds. You know know why they're doing it? Because they got bills to pay. So does that knock the punk credos on its ass or what? Oh, yeah. I went to uh, my my buddy from Bad Religion's party when he had his first kid. And there were all the Bad Religion guys there with their families. And I'm like, this isn't very punk. And he's just looking at me like, shut up. You know, shut up. Yeah. Drink your beer and draw a painting at my fucking kid's thing. That's the point of this or whatever. We were like, we know. The whole thing about punk rock is an ethos, and to me, punk rock is doing exactly what you want to do. If Nickelback wants to write the same kind of music they do all the time, that's up to them. They're making that choice, and when you make your own choices, you're punk. No one's yeah. making them for you. The wow. uh, Speaking of punk, that band Turnstile is churning up right now. They're just – that's punk going to go mainstream here real quickly with them, and it's, it's just really cool seeing a band like that get real – get the pits going, get the – 
it's just super awesome watching them throw these concerts. They did through the pandemic where it was just like, hey, no vaccine, vaccine, whatever, whatever. We're playing in Central Park. Show up if you want to show up. And some of the footage for that stuff, it's just that's true punk rock. That's rock and roll. And I wish more bands uh, started doing that stuff. So security dudes, how often do you guys get to ride in helicopters? I myself never. <laughs> I've done it three or four times um, uh-huh. out in the government. Well, did that aspect of my life. Um, and then you get to land story. on like a cruise, like a big old like submarine ship looking thing? Um, no, nothing like that. Uh, I'm so just thinking of fun- you like Mission Impossible guy. You know, It'd be like, listen here, Tom Cruise. This is how you get out of it. I mean, I've been in areas and stuff that a small handful of people have ever been in um, or on or around. Um, but funny story, when we were doing this uh, Nickelback thing, actually, they're, they're, there's a, the idea of them helicoptering into Hannah, um, Alberta, Canada, uh, where they were born and raised from and where they got their start. And uh, the idea was Nick's because obviously helicopters, uh, there's always this thing where it's this they're gonna they could crash it's not the safest way to travel yeah uh, so that idea was kind of thrown out there but obviously ultimately it wasn't used uh but I, my time on them has been pretty fine i mean i've never jumped out of there like uh like uh splinter cell or anything from tom clancy um but i do prefer airplanes or cars or just walking is my mode of travel <laughs> i'll just walk into canada yeah when we we uh we did <laughs> i did rock in rio and they fly you in on helicopter because there's too many people at the venue. And, uh, but the crew, you know, we just go in like three days before and just wake up for three days by eating, drinking Guarana or whatever it was. Um, so we all just wanted to get in a helicopter because we were down there for weeks and like, we couldn't bribe them. We couldn't get anything to let those guys let us in the helicopter. So it's still like bucket list. You know, I see the helicopter. I'm like, motherfuckers, I want on. <laughs> so, yeah. It's good on it's good on movie movies and TV shows. It's not really it's not really that cool. Airwolf was the shit. Oh God, <laughs> Airwolf. All right, well, so yeah, old school, old school. We this never, is... we never, yeah, Airwolf. We never, and when we never get the ride of the Valkyries uh, scene from uh, uh, Apocalypse Now. There we go. We never get that out of our heads either when we think of copters. Old school TV shows, Mr. T, man. So Mr. T was a bouncer and stuff. Are you guys? Have you... Yeah. Have you seen that uh, beam where it's, it shows the inside of a helicopter cockpit and it says the switch for fortune and sun on and fortune and sun off? It's like every time there's a helicopter scene in a movie, it's always CCR playing. It's it's yeah. the best. It's Americana, baby. Yeah, yeah, it is. All right, so Mr. T was America's toughest bouncer. He actually won an award as a young man as America's toughest bouncer. And then he did security for a ton of people and stuff. So... I hung out with a few security guys here and there, and I found like you guys had these big motherfuckers, and those guys didn't really have to do anything other than just stay big. And it was the little dudes that were the scary ones. They were the ones who could handle their shit. Has it changed at all? Um, uh, Justin, you go first. Well, John and I actually have this conversation quite often because he and I are sizable guys. We're not like you know, we're not. I mean, I go, we both work out and take care of ourselves, but uh, security really top tier security, as far as we're concerned is about observing stuff, reading the room and just influencing people with your presence and being direct with people that gets their attention more often than someone who's just kind of a bruiser. Because again, you're right. We might be 
we're a little bigger than normal size people, but you don't know what we're capable of. And the last thing you ever want to do is get into a confrontation because then you're looking at lawsuits and everything else and it becomes more of an issue than it is. I think usually when you do a meet and greet or that type of situation where you can kind of go out and you you meet up with the crowd before they come in to meet the artist, you kind of lay the ground rules. And obviously the last thing they want is being let out of the room because it's embarrassing for them. And it's also a hassle for anyone. And why go through all this and spend money to do a meet and greet if that's the case to go through that. So basically we've, I think if you just have a commanding presence and uh, some sort of authority and uh, you know, you treat people, our thing is about giving respect to the, to the people as well. If you're respectful to them, they'll be respectful back to you. So uh, that's what and- I remember. I'm, I'm a little fella, but on STP, we just didn't have a lot of people around. And um, I had this guy jump on the stage. who was like massive human being, just huge, huge dude. And he jumps up on the stage and he looks at me and I look at him. And the thing is, is once they're up there, they're thinking, what now? <laughs> and there, so I walked over and I shook his hand. And then I, I just kind of put my hand behind him and we walked off the stage. And the guys in the band were like crying. They're like, that was the best security guy moment I've ever seen. But you could see in him, he got up there thinking, what do I do? And if he jumped into the audience, I don't know, man, he was a big fella. I don't think they would have caught him that. And sometimes the barricades way too far away. You ain't making it. So uh, I wonder, kill him with kindness. You know, how often does it work? But if you're too kind, then you, you don't have that, that you don't have that. It's uh, I agree with everything Justin said to carry on with that a little bit. The perception is People know why you're there. Uh, if you're really good at your job, they definitely know why you're there based on how you move, how you react, how you just present yourself. Because in this industry, I don't care if you're a security or catering or a truck driver, how you represent yourself is one thing, but you also represent the rest of your crew, the band, uh, yeah. the entity that what you're out there with. And so that's super important. And the times, the top security people I know in the industry now uh, whether they're former government or military, wherever they are, the people at top tier celebrity, band celebrity security, their their mind is their best asset. Um, sure, can everyone throw a punch or a grapple or throw? Sure, that helps you. Uh, but if they're in a situation that crowded by, you're not wrapping someone up with a Brazilian jiu-jitsu hold and then making the guy tap out if you were the client. You're getting in and out. And so a lot of the times, the most successful security guys, they've already planned out every scenario in their head. If there's a fight in the bar, an active shooter, an unattended bag, uh, or a medical emergency, you've already figured out every egress, egress route. you figured out everything part of your job before you even step foot in these areas. And a lot of times the big guys and stuff that look like bouncers or they're your second cousin and then you only pay them $200 a day, those are the people that, they don't last. And I just kind of sit back and just kind of chuckle. And uh, this day and age, security is one of the first things people like to cut and one of the last things people like to bring on. And so if you, you pay what you get for it too, and as Justin can tell, uh, some of these events we've done on, whether they're theme cruises or festivals and stuff, it's like if promoters don't want to carry the best around, well, they're not going to get the best results. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, physical fitness is great. All that stuff, some sort of training background, always be learning. I know during the pandemic, Justin and I were taking all the COVID tests, workplace violence, online classes, human trafficking, online classes, all this stuff. So we're all, you always have to be learning. You always have to learn, adapt, uh, stay ahead of the curve. But it, there is more to security than just looking tough and looking oiled up to your tits uh, and flexing in front of a lady. So can you guys get me Jesse James? The the biker motorcycle guy? fella, yeah, motorcycle yes. fella was. Scary. Yeah, he was married to Sandra Bullock. Right, that yeah. dude. 
Yeah, he yeah. was a security guy for Danzig. Yeah, uh, and he was also Which I always find ironic his wife too. So yeah, but <laughs> I think one other thing to add to is that John mentioned is like when you're part of security these days is basically your pre-show talk with you with your vendor security you're dealing with there who's you're you're figuring out hey give me your give me your best guys in the front give me people at the bombs you know so that's another thing too is that becomes a communication and teamwork thing it's you and the venue at that point so basically they're helping alleviate the front of house things like that obviously security bomb checks everything at the front door and you're taking every care of everything as far as dressing rooms backstage and uh and uh you know getting the, the, your band in and out so sometimes mm. it is helpful to if you can have a good cl- that's why advancing is so important with those security yes. folks because they know exactly what they're going to walk into there's nothing worse than an hour before show and you're finally meeting them and you're like okay hold on we got to break this down real quick but uh, yeah so our pre-checks are super important um but uh, joel i love the story of how you handle that and that's the proper way to handle it i mean you're, well, the guy was gone. so massive, and I'm like, a, well, an gone are the days. Unless unless they get aggressive or one of your folks, whether it's the crew or the band, then you have to basically, you know, you're gonna have to go all gladiator on them. But but other than that, leading them off, not causing a scene, leading them down. It's like anyone. It's like anyone that comes over the top during crowd surfing. You don't chunk them out anymore. You basically let them go to the edge of the barricade and work their way back in. You'll probably see them again in 20 minutes. They'll be back up on top of people. So I used to walk them down, and then I'd say, you know, hey, if you do it again, though, I got to kick you out. But that was badass sure. going the show. And they're usually pretty good. But, I mean, you know, I, I jumped after Scott Weiland, I remember, into the audience, and I'm cruising around. And then before I knew it, I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm screwed because it turned into a mosh pit. Scott could handle himself for sure. All the mm-hmm. other, all the guys in the band, were they were tough. And so uh, afterwards, we had a talk. And the talk was like, dude, I, I can handle my own. I now had to watch you and me. And I was sort of like, I did see that happen. There was some, there was some truth to that because it's true. He had to make sure I got back on the damn stage too. (laughs) Well, John's in a position, so so John can tell you. But as someone who's watched John have to follow Brent from Shine Down and Smith Myers into the audience a lot of times, so John has to. And there's always great still images of John, and he's just like the the he. I call him the sheepdog. You know, he's just got his eyes are everywhere. He's transfixed on his artists, and it's like John has one eye here and another eye kind of roving like he's a robot. Uh, just making sure that that Brent has a clear path to whatever's going on, or if he sees someone coming his way. So speaking of eyes, is shifty eyes something you guys look for? Uh, you can. I mean, for me, it's if I, okay. Someone, I, I, can, I go to a party. I go to a, some random event. Okay, what are some of the tells that you guys are just naturally looking at now, just in life and everything? Of like, well, that's weird. Uh, pacing, uh, clenched fists, talking to yourself, no direct eye contact. Uh, if it's 70 degrees out and you're wearing a winter jacket or a long coat, uh, what are you hiding? What's wrong with you? Um, stuff like that. But I mean, ultimately, if you hear something different or it's just what, what, how, what you see is you, all three of us can look at something and be like, oh, the sky's blue. That's the normal. Well, if the sky turned red all of a sudden, we both said like, what, what's, what do you normally see in your daily life that makes you question uh, something that doesn't seem like this seems out of place? And so those are all pre pre attacked indicators, really. Uh, but they, that doesn't mean they're going to be aggressive. That my person might have dealt with a, a family loss at home, or maybe they need medication, or they're diabetic, or um, they need their shots or whatever it is. So it doesn't always be the worst case scenario, but there is stuff how to properly analyze really quickly what someone's up to. 
do drugs make your job harder? So like I had a guy on here, this roadie dude, who was pretty, and he was making a big point at the end that we should make it okay for roadies to be able to do drugs on stage. And he was talking about smoking weed and stuff. And I'm like, all right, I mean, I don't know why that's such a big deal, but sure. And then I'm also, well, what about LSD? And he goes, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, all right, all right, forget it, forget it. When I, when my world, I grew up, uh, most of the tours I did, there was no drinking while I was working for sure. That, you know, it's the way it should be. Yeah, it's a damn yeah. job and you need to be, I think, the, the best you can do, dude, which means you shouldn't be fucked up. Now, microdosing has become so, so, so popular. Have you guys found in your line of work that uh, drugs being more common – uh, and I, I don't mean weed. Weed is whatever. I, I mean drugs um, have changed how how hard your work has become, or does it really not matter? Are you talking uh, about the audience or working with crews that are dabbling? <laughs> I meant the audience, but maybe. It's oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, crews are. Yeah, have you had any time where? You know, I, I talk about it in my book. I was working for NSYNC and Lou Ferrigno like wouldn't leave the band alone. <laughs> he was his fan. And they actually got security dudes whose job was a lot of it was to keep Lou. fucking Lou Ferrigno from bugging in. You won't like me when I'm angry. Yeah. Well, he just I was hanging they... out. He obviously had nothing to do. So he's hanging out and he's he's talking to them. But I mean, that's a lot of people. That That is a lot of people, though, because some people. Uh, just feel that's their way of dealing with someone they want to admire and be to that that social awkwardness uh, where again it's like something you like you did with that guy on the stage you just hey hey man get ready to go we're heading to the bus we're gonna check out go to the next city it's all stuff you could say that could easily mitigate and control that situation because I don't know if you really want to say the wrong thing to Lou. He's out there snapping people's necks and ripping skin off, and all of a sudden you got to crab the Hulk. I was just thought it was so funny in the freaking. We're booting the Hulk. Well, that's a weird dynamic because you have someone who's very iconic and Ferrigno with a band at the time that was the most popular band in the world. So I think celebrity thinks that celebrity should have entree into that world without any kind yes. of thing. Like they, they should be my fan. I'm much larger globally than they are. So, yeah, it's a weird dynamic. As far as the drug thing is, I just got done about a month and a half ago doing this four-day EDM fest in, in Lake Paris, California, which is like a camping fest. So there's really no the, – the police would come like that. The California Patrol would come by occasionally, but they really – we don't really look for that so much now. Nowadays, it's like bombs and that safe nation. If we come across them, we're like, either get dispose of this or we'll dispose of it for you, but we're not going to hassle with the paperwork. That's kind of the mentality for a lot of these pr promoters and stuff like that. I don't really run into that. I didn't run into it there because what happens with a lot of people, especially for those kind of shows, they're on acid. They're, they're kind of more of the psychedelic things. And if you come in there firm and sober and talk to them, they kind of don't know how to deal. They're like kind of like to them, it's like seeing the devil. Like who is this person who's so like level headed talking to me? And I'm like, you know, they're off in another place. So they listen very quiet. They listen. They do listen to you. So I haven't run into issues. It hasn't gotten violent. I think the days of those kind of drugs, the uppers and speed and things like that, those are kind of slowly dissipating and people are kind of going to more mind altering drugs as far as like something that kind of keeps them a little bit more aloof. So they're like David Lee Roth. And you're like, I'm not David Lee Roth. I'm a security no, guy, man. Yeah, I'm not that guy. I'm not right? that guy. No, I just, I walk up to them eye to eyeball them. I try to respect them. Even if I know they're in a different place, still respect them and just talk to them like an adult. Um, and if I have to, I, the first thing I always do is go, do I need to take you to medical? They don't want to do that because they want to seem like, no one wants to seem like they can't handle the shit, right? They, that makes I sense. can handle my drugs. I'm like, maybe not now you can't because it's 120 degrees out here at midnight. 
and you're probably on a couple of mollies. So let's get you some oxygen and some water and then you go about your business. But my biggest problem with things like that is the environment. That one's particular because there, it's the, 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 the festival takes place on a lake and after six o'clock swimming is closed off. So you have to basically be like Roy Scheider and Jaws, making sure that no one's going in the fucking water while because they're on drugs or whatever and their drowning situation can happen. I'm thinking, well, now I have to bring in lifeguard training into my situation here if that yeah. happens. So you're trying to monitor, you're trying to keep all the cats in a herd right over here, by here, by these stages. And I don't care what you're doing. Just stay out of the fucking water and don't go walking in the highway. Yeah. <laughs> So you have to balance out, you know, there's all these are bad things and in normal situations. You'd want to control every situation you have. Music that way, safe. Yes, <laughs> that correct. Way water, bad. And uh, so, but prior to that, I'll let John spot, but so I did a blues festival that John had me go on. It was like one of the first things I did kind of overseeing for Silver Spear. And it was also a beer festival. So obviously a lot of drunk. So a lot of times customer service is like number one, we're customer service at first and foremost. So, I didn't have too many problems. A lot of people were able to handle their drinking, even though the elevation was is pretty bad. But I found one guy who was working, who was his day off, and I recognized him through the through the week. And he was loaded. And I said, "Well, how far do you live from here? Because I don't trust you. Because you have to walk on a highway to get to your cars or whatever." I said, I "Just don't. I'm not feeling this kid." So I walked him like two miles to his house. Oh, geez. From the Fed. It was middle of the afternoon. I'm like, "Everyone's. We've got this covered. We have enough staff here to cover everything. I'll be back and." an hour or whenever I'm going to be back. So that's one of those things is like, sometimes you do take that personal touch. Like I'm going to, I, there's something about this kid that needs my direct attention or this could be trouble. That's cool. Of you though. Good yeah. Stroll, you know, little afternoon stroll. Little stroll. Hey man, yeah. a stroll through the mountains. I'm all good with that. Yeah. It's good. All right. So we're going to go back even farther here. I read an interview you did here, Justin, and uh, you started working at next stage by telling them that they sucked is what my notes say. So, what what happened? How did you begin your career? What what in music? Is this is this not you? Oh, did I suck? Oh, did actually? No, you told. That's them not me. That okay. They sucked, and then they uh, you you started. No, 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 not so. Uh, no, let me tell you, I started this business. I uh, <laughs> it was if I told them they sucked, I'd never work in this damn business. Well, that's what I, I thought uh, I had I, read. I, and I'm like, you told them they blow, and then you went. No, in dude. So there used to be this place. It's still around. It's now called the Texas. CU Theater or whatever sponsors picked up the building's naming rights. Uh, it was called Next Stage at the time. It was outside Dallas in Grand Prairie, Texas. And it was kind of the beginning of these new, very lush, uh, mid-seater, 6,000 cap rooms, you know, where they kind of spent a little bit more money on basically the experience. Chairs that are like plush, fucking cup holder. I don't remember a cup holder in any arena show I used to go to when I was growing up. So it was like, cool. The staff there was very well uh dressed up very well mannered i went to go see a sticks and reo speedwagon show of my then at then girlfriend i went there i was super impressed with the sound the show the staff parking everything was really worked so i wrote them a letter dude 2002 we still wrote letters so i sent a letter into them just to say thank you for the time it was great to look forward to more shows and like a week later i got a call from the girl who ended up being an hr person so we got this letter i said yeah it was a great experience she's like do you want to come in an interview for i'm like uh for what she's like production runner and at the time dude i'd worked in the label end of things so i'd gone to shows but i dealt with artists doing certain things in radio stations but never in the live so i didn't know the lingo i'm like what the fuck's a production runner oh it's a great illustrious job (laughs) right well so funny so i go in there and i interview and i don't know what to wear so i wear a suit 
I go in there just because I like you dress for the kind of I, it's not the you know, if I would have known I'm dressing for the job, I would have worn a Steve Miller t-shirt, right? That's yeah. like, I knew what I was dressing for. I went in there and they're like, well, this is what you do. And I went into that interview. I came out of it and said, this is, I'm doing this. This is what I'm doing here on out. This is what I'm, this is my fucking shit. Left you had everything a whole else behind. Out on me. You had a what? At a CD store. Oh. And also, I was also teaching school as well. So you were working so, at the CD store. You know, I actually was part of a co-owner with it. So co-owner I, I owned this store. thing and that was, Yeah. So I had that little thing going. So I was still kind of doing music after, you know, I left label world. And then I started teaching some more because I taught initially when I got a, how old am I? No, at the time. Yeah, at the time. Oh, fuck it. I was 34. All right. Okay. Late bloomer, dude, late. But I knew the business as far as like, again, working in the record business and being on, when I went to school, I went to school UT. So I worked at like the entertainment committee and brought in bands. So I, very familiar and versed with it. And I started going to shows when I was six years old, man, seven, nine, seven, eight years old. So I kind of like was always vested personally and as a hobby and whatever. Yeah. Um, they told me the job and I said, this is, I, hell yeah, I'm in it. My first gig was uh, being a runner and kind of assistant for David Crosby. And that's no way to enter this business. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. man, oh man, I was like, son of a bitch. It was just funny to me kind of going there and like, well, he likes, you have to go to the store and get a certain type tooth comb. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? I, so there's this over time I got used to like the weird nuances. Like, you know, I always tell the funny story about like Dave, Dave Navarro needing ginger root before they went on. So I have to run out to, and this place is in the middle of nowhere. A grocery store is about 20 minutes away and traffic is probably longer going to get him ginger root. So the show must go on. Right. Um, what he puts but, the ginger root in tea? I, he does that, or he blends it, or whatever they they do. I foo fooey shit. So the game the game changer for me in this business was, um, I had started working more pr- with the production manager. So one day he was off or whatever, to kind of take over the whole backstage area and be in charge of things like that. So, but uh, one day the guy who was the GM of the building came through the doors in the back. Well, the production people were, and he's like, is anyone Excel? I said, oh, I know Excel. He's like, you're my new assistant. So I kind of went through the doors, you know, with a, to the administrator full-timers amongst the, away from the pirates. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's how my career changed is just basically being at the right time, the right place. Um, but, uh, but I was still would do the production and stuff. So one of the times, one of our production girl was not feeling very well. And we had a double header. We had Duran Duran re- reunion. And then the next night, motley cruise reunion tour so boom boom load in load out load in load out both with uh, their own chefs so that's me setting up a kitchen in the back parking lot and that was 72 hours of at the time absolute hell where i'm just gonna i'm done i'm toasted i'm done i can't i can't work with these people to basically looking back like a week after that going man i fucking love that and that's basically what how i started in this business and I just kind of worked my way up from there. And I met people along the way and got involved in other aspects of the business and just kind of worked from there. And that was, I was working for AEG Live. How did you two meet each other? Uh, ship Rocks. No. Yeah, Ship Rocks. Yeah, in bed, yeah. <laughs> I, left, I, left a, I left a 20 on the counter. <laughs> um, now on Ship Rocks, uh, John and I both share kind of an obscure, like weird sense of humor about things. And we both really, yeah, yeah. So that's how we kind of met. He was, he was, they were, they were handling security for Shiprocks. 
uh, one year. I can't remember what it was. And then we did a couple other cruises with them. Uh, but we just kind of hit it off that that became friends of social media and then kind of took off from there. You know, I shine down would come into town and I'd go hook up with them and see them and learn more and more about what he was doing. Um, and again, we just had this share. We have a shared caring of people, but we also have a shared loathing of people. Correct. Yeah. No, I think uh, when I first met Justin, like obviously the humor was there, and but you can also tell he's a very he's a great worker and he has that mentality that I I always want to associate myself with. Is I don't like a lot of times people be like, well, you play down to your opponent. Well, I want to I want to win with the the best team around me, and if someone's more qualified or whatever, those type of people are the ones that make me better. And someone like Justin, obviously, him and I hit it off back in 2015, and here we are today, uh, putts around doing our thing. So it's it's all good. You think because yeah. you guys both worked in A and R, right? No, I no. Uh, I came out of the government, so I never. Uh, I'm strictly oh. all security. Oh, okay, I ran around. Yeah, and I kicked around. I did venue ops for a long time too, so that kind of and I dealt with security and I dealt with you know fire departments and EMT and and stuff like that, and had some training in EMT in my earlier days. So I was very familiar with the business as far as that, and the whole like in this moment thing came along because. I'm also a photographer, so they were needing a photographer video guy, and they wanted someone halfway through the tour that was more video-centric. I'm more of a photo-centric guy. So wait, when you say they, we're talking about Shiprocked or? No, in this moment. down? Oh, in this moment. Yeah, and then so basically, so when that when they brought in someone new, well, their security guy was leaving, and they offered me the gig. You think you can do it? I'm like, yeah. So that's what got me started doing that type of aspect of things. Cool. So Shiprocked, can I bring uh, my Celine Dion CD collection on the boat? I have sure, it'll go overboard. That's fine. <laughs> I got them all. I got everything. No, man, it's funny. Uh, you know what? There's probably people that listen to that stuff. Hey, man, you bring those and I'll bring my, you know, I, I'll bring all of my um, my Seals and Cross and my uh, Cat Stevens stuff. Fucking yeah. love Seals we and Cross. We can have a jamboree. Did you know that England Dan was related to the Seals, dude? Dan Seals? Did not know that. Just found it out. I, I it's totally also get... funny. It's like one of those weird, obscure things like, you know, Captain from Captain Anil. His brother was Dennis Dragon, the drummer for the Surf Punks. So go figure. Really? Yeah. See, I figure these guys, like, mom would be proud, man. Be like, ah, both my sons kicked ass in different bands. In different, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. One brought home a little bit more cheese than the other, but that's okay. So, Shiprock, so can you guys tell me a bit about it? I did look a little. So, you guys. You seem to have some of the acts that keep coming back every year, and then you switch up a few, obviously. So um, it's a week long, and it goes out of it goes out of Texas. Well, we kind of split everywhere. We're always from different places. Like the last time we sailed in 2020 was out of New Orleans. This year we're out of Galveston because the ship we were looking for was going out of Galveston. We need a larger ship, which is always good when you can grow your business. Uh, Miami. Orlando, or sorry, Cape Canaveral. We've kind of gone out of a lot of different places, but uh, we'll change our ports again next year just to kind of mix it up because we want people to be able to fly into a place they can enjoy. Okay, um, so I want to go. I'm I'm gonna I, I want to go on it, and I, okay. I see the list online. It has all the bands mm. and stuff. Yeah. So the bands go on at nighttime, but what do I do all day? Like, is there gambling? Well, you, no. Ba- okay, so basically, let me give you a morning. Let's yeah. say it's the first first morning we've already set sail. Like, you know, when you set sail, we have a sail away show. We'll pick whatever band is willing to go on there at five. Was we're sailing out of port. It's kind of the biggest show of the of the of the week, quite honestly, because 
it's the only thing to do at that point and it's this really the kickoff for the for the thing and we'll do like a big toast or whatever um and then bands play until about midnight then we have a disco and we'll show like we have like we have like a movie theater we do things we do comedians um gambling mm-hmm. obviously there's karaoke going on we have a place called the atrium which is the center of the ship which is this very and some of these ships it looks like something out of blade runner it's like multi-storied and they play on top of a bar and sometimes we'll do acoustic shows like last time we had joey belladonna from anthrax uh, sure. doing all of journey doing like acoustic journey songs that's different that's and cool. so, so yeah so there's this really unique situations where these artists can do these one-offs that they've never done anywhere because it's a unique setting and, and unique week for them um but like your first day at ship you wake up in the morning you can do like i do yoga i teach yoga in the morning at like oh, nice. nine o'clock in the morning and then what kind of yoga i like my yoga is it flow vinyasa? We, just do, we just do do a flow one because we have people all different levels and really it's just about getting people's toxins getting them out of there and getting them woken up and it's it's not too strenuous on people plus you're on a ship so you have to control your you don't know which way the ship's going to go so if you're in some weird pose that's uh, a little oh. harder you might run into an issue so we just kind of keep it just flexibility Okay. Uh, and then really bands start around 11 a.m. We have a deck stage that we run through. Then we have like, we have interior stages. And then the theater show started in the evening, around, usually around eight o'clock. So how we many bands do you have play over the week? Well, we have about 25 bands. They play twice a week. That's what they're contracted to. Sometimes they'll do it, uh, something special. We'll, we'll pay them a little extra to, to maybe perform something else. Um, or they'll just do it on their own. Like a few years ago, we had this band called Blacktop Mojo, who's coming back with us. Yeah, they decided they're going to grab their guitars and go down to the galley where all the people who work on the ship from. You know, you got to look at people that are coming from the islands and Philippines or wherever that are working down there, and you have these big burly guys from Texas walk in there and start doing these country rock songs. And it's like that scene out of uh, Titanic when when he goes down and starts dancing with all the gypsies. Imagine that, but more of a metal thing going on. So it's it's hysterical. So it's one of those weeks where you just don't know what to expect other than what you you had you can say hey this is what we gonna this is what we expect to have but we don't know what's going to happen outside of that. And we'll do things like this year like Frank Bello from Anthrax he just put out a new book so he'll do a storyteller's kind of type of situation. That's neat. Um yeah, so that's what's kind of the, the and obviously we have beach excursions, we have a big big beach party, we have a beach concert and we have games and shit and you know does Danny Hill do anything other than get drunk, or does he actually do shit? Danny puts it get no. Danny's the production guy. He help, definitely helps uh, along the way as far as getting some of our bands. But his big thing is the stowaways, which is kind of this all-star cast of players that come in, and he, we do two nights of those, and he kind of coordinates that. And he basically we let Danny that stowaways is kind of like his baby, so he runs with that and just handles their, everything from their travel to getting them on the ship and everything like that. So yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm gonna shift gears. I'm gonna, at the risk of maybe sounding dumb, I don't know. I, I see you got all this swag for your podcast, and you're doing good with it. What's a token for? Uh, so the challenge coin. Challenge um, coin. Yeah, so the challenge coin is like to say, like if you look up the history of it, usually the military or specialized branches uh, or organizations will have this token that it's kind of a cool bring the team together. Not everyone has this type of token, but if you do have it and you're in a, say in a bar, you pull it out and the person you know is supposed to have this, doesn't have it on them, they're buying that round of drinks. And some other organizations do, it's a physical thing where it's push-ups or it's a run or it's basically just like this cool token um, you can kind of build like this cool community that's super small uh, and just kind of give back. So when I was the, did all the government stuff, a lot of the times specialized teams would have their 
specialized tokens. And so you started getting really creative with it and you'd have to call each other out. Um, it's just, well, it's something fun, uh, something harmless. Cool. Um, that uh, it's just really cool. Okay. So uh, I was putting together the podcast and I was at my friend's house having dinner and he has a daughter in fifth grade and she was with her little girlfriends and they, they collectively said, I need to ask each guest when they first felt famous. So my question to you guys would be, it doesn't have to be fame. Remember, we were talking about little kids. So it could be a moment in your careers that sets you on the right path. Uh, some event that's worth staying. Uh, something that happened with to you guys. Um, yeah, I mean, so when, again, when I was in the Secret Service and all that stuff, there are certain events and details you're in charge of or part of, um, whether it's my trips to... Uh, Israel, India, the Palestine, that area, Israel, that type of stuff. Um, it's the fame. It's not like, oh, look at me, look at me. It's like, man, in my, in my, here I am, small town kid, doing what I love, traveling the world, doing security, and boom, I'm here. Um, and sometimes in festivals or events or cruises or a client, when I walk into a room with 50, 60 people, uh, I'm the top dog in my, in my field. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, there's a lot of hard work that goes into that. There's a lot of patience and uh, get in the trenches and get dirty, get gritty with it. Uh, but I know every time I walk into a field or an office or whatever, and my clients are there, I'm the expert for that day in that field. And I take great solace in that. And every time I see a promoter come up to me or give me a call, and be like, hey, John, you can be out here because I need some advice or this type of stuff. For me, that's the fame I love. And it's not a, whoa, look at me. I, I don't care about any of that. If you're, I just take pride in my, the job I do. Uh, I'm always learning, always adapting. And um, I'm not in here to write books. I'm not in here uh, for me. Um, I don't. A jab. <laughs> no, I just. I, Jesus, me, I, I like I, Justin better. <laughs> no, no, I don't, I don't be like that. For me, I can't live my life. Because everyone's like, well, why don't you write a book about the Secret Service? Or what? I, that, that was never me. I'm not that person. I have a ton of stories mm-hmm. to tell. And I don't think I can do a book like you did, uh, Joel, because I don't, I don't know how to write like that, if that makes sense. And so I'm never doing that stuff. I'm always, my fame in my head is if I can serve someone and do a great job for me, that is what I like to do. Did you have a lot of brothers and sisters? I had two younger sisters. Oh, same here. So what do you think is uh, instilled in you that you, I mean, you're a go-getter. You definitely want to achieve and you take it seriously. What, what, what is it? Um, I, th- I was raised by two awesome parents. Um, I have older cousins and uncles and aunts and grandparents um, that my dad's generation, uh, they came off the boat from Italy, hardworking, never bitched, never complained. What did um, mom and dad do for work? Um, my mom uh, was the best stay-at-home mom. Uh, at the time, now she's a teacher. My dad was a mason and uh, masonry and uh, plasterer for 30 years. Uh, he got sick and had to retire early. Uh, but it was always that thing: like you're you you're off your phone. You put all the food on your plate. You finish every bite you have on there. You do your dishes. You make your bed. I mean, still to this day, I make my bed every morning I wake up, and that includes hotels. Um, if I shave the sick, I'm, I'm cleaning hotel sinks out for my beard hair. It's I do that thing. too, but that's like a respect thing. I think. It, no, but you get it though. But there's a lot of people in our industry that don't get that. They always expect people to pick up their trash and do all this other shit for it. But I was told, 
hey, if you want something, you got to do 100% every time. You don't care who's watching and who's not watching. So that yeah. I just I parents that really they gave a shit. And yeah. I hope to one day pass that along to the other kids. That's oh, good stuff. It's always interesting to hear people's, you know, backstory, like what, what meant them go the way they are. What was it? I don't know if there's ever an answer either, by the way, but it, it is interesting to think about. Do you have kids, Joel? No. I was going to say, mm. what would your thoughts if they wanted to be in the industry? Or if you had a nephew or a, a, a kid that's younger, like your age when you first jumped in, what would you say? So to the them? book was written for my nephews because I had cancer. So I was like, shit, if I die, you know, I'm just going to tell these kids that yeah. I'm like, I just sold a lot of shit on eBay. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm, really, I'm like, so I wrote it for them. It wasn't for the public. And then uh, luckily the public liked it. It wasn't not expected. But I would tell them it's a great industry to work in. And I, you know, what's been very interesting for me, I haven't toured since 2006, I think. And I, and I said before we started, I only toured for like four years. So they were, had great impact to me because those four years were my very early 20s. And they defined who I had become. A is, you know, make your fucking bed or, 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 or yeah. clear up your shit. But a lot of it was, uh, uh, there's a guy named Rigger Dan who was a roadie for uh, for a long time who he was a character and he, he would say, you know, if you don't know how to do it, fucking figure it out, man. Or ask you know, for help. Be the guy to go and figure it out. That was one of the things that, that he would. And it is. There's a lot of this stuff. If you want to be successful, it's not the guy who is working for you. It's not his fault. It's your fucking fault. So go talk to that guy and figure it out. So it don't happen again. You know, these kind of things. And uh I liked it. So I would be full throttle. I would tell the kids, do it. And, you know, I, I would bring, when I worked, I would bring people backstage. They weren't girls usually. It was little kids. I'd bring little kids backstage because I just had hopes that one of those kids would see Axl Rose sing and be like, I should be a rock star. Right. And maybe they did. Maybe they did. You know, that oh, I would bring a kid and one parent and let them listen to two songs. And then I'd walk them back out. And that made me feel wonderful because you know, the parents are stoked as the kid because the parents sitting there like, wow, man, I'm here with little Johnny. Yeah. I'm standing there with the band. And then you walk them back. So I, I think it's a great industry. I'm proud of having been in it for a few minutes. So 100%. Oh, that's awesome. What do you got, Justin? As far as uh, fame? Yeah, when you first feel famous or when there was an event that, that made you feel like you were on the right path or um, uh, made you feel right. good about yourself your career? I think Sheriff Rock has been very pinnacle for me as far as that's concerned. As far as like any kind of like noticeability, it's like being the camp counselor for a bunch of adults. But, you know, imagine when you're when you a kid and you went to camp every year, like, I can't wait to see, you know, Mr. Johnny or whoever. I kind of feel like that person. Sometimes you get noticed more and more. And now with the podcast, I, I'm in their, you know, homes every week, yeah. which is great. And I just love that community so much that I've become really good friends with people. I visit them, hang out with them. It's, it's, it's always good. Yeah. Well, so you guys are killing it, man. It's yeah. Great. It's man. Let's 12 year run so far and it, it keeps getting better and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's a lot of things coming up on the horizon for it. It's cool. That's that, that is one of the things I do. And I think it's like anyone, I think it's like any part of time you're part of a production of any sort. Yeah. Uh, whether I was working for monster energy or whoever, and when you're done with the day, you know, like, man, we put all this work into what? And you realize you just entertain or you're a part of the machine to entertain 40,000 people. That's fucking awesome. I think so, too. I, I think I read a really good uh, epiphany of that when we were doing 
I was within this moment. We were doing heavy Montreal and we yeah. were right before Manson and Slayer, which is always kind of a trip as a metalhead going, man, I can't believe we're sharing the same thing as Slayer. I'm not playing, but I'm part of this machine was walking Maria under the front of the stage and people are just like the thousands upon thousands of people. And I'm thinking my whole time going, man, my parents would be fucking stoked if, if they could see this. Cause they knew, you know, I was one of those kids. My parents were like John's. My parents were fucking the best. My dad was a Navy officer and my mom was English. She grew up during world war two in Birmingham. No, I was so born I in had this kind of Okay. All right. So yeah. So my mom had this brummy kind of like thing to her and she came from a theater family. So always loved my parents turned me on the music for so early and my dad was one of those guys and i was preteen, driving me to concerts waiting in a parking lot far away knew when to come get me to pick me up so always nurturing me this love of music because he they both love music and you know, they grew up in that era but um so i think walking her across the stage and realizing man we just turned on like seventy thousand canucks here this is fucking killer this it's just it's just it's like it's cool it's like man this is this is awesome this is yeah. really awesome i'm so glad to be here um aside from that man you know I, that's kind of when i felt like those kind of moments where this has been all incredible but i'm like you man every second i do something like sometimes i'm like anyone i get bummed out like i'm not doing anything right now in the business i'm not i feel like i'm behind you know people are on the road i'm not this fucking what am i gonna do but then i realized wait a minute I got a podcast with you today and then tomorrow I'm interviewing Jason hook cool. and then, you know, we got some other stuff coming up. It's just like, so I'm like, man, that's just like, if you're not, I hate not, oh, I love being always busy, man. I love yeah, I don't hands of the devil. Sure. I'm a firm believer. Yeah, man. And I'm just like, I don't know do myself. Sometimes I was like, shit, I do. I create work for myself. I've already got enough here that I have intended to, because it's not really what I love to do. You know, it's um, funny. I had a, I got his lady from Amazon. She works for Amazon calling me and she, they want me to write, more they want me to write a novella so i'm like i don't know what a novella is and she kind of laughed because you know they're hitting the people who's like doing really good on their site making a money it's obviously all about money and so they're yeah. calling and i just imagine her getting to me and i'm like i don't even know what the fuck you're talking about <laughs> she's like yeah. well you write little segments every week well, how many segments and she's like, well 10 is what we would like you to do i'm like that's fucking another book <laughs> i'm like that's a lot a lot of work lady and yeah. she's like, well we think you should think about it so i'm sitting there even though i was like yeah right i'm sitting there thinking in my head maybe i have time to figure out something else and send it to the amazon people so it is good well, to well, you all you should always i mean it's easier said than done you actually probably write a lot more than i do i know you do but you you always make time for something cool like that because you never know your stories and what you have for your, your advice could do That's what fun. you do for that kid breaking the backstage. Like that next chapter you write might save a roadie's life who's addicted to drugs or it might bring in the next singer. So I think there is something to that where obviously you put out something that people resonate with. So why not keep building upon that? Because maybe you're still building your legacy uh, too. I think everybody should be every day. I'm a full, I think everybody should write. I think you should write that book about security that you don't want to write. No, I just, never. I'll have you write it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny as you all talk about writing. So I, I do some writing and journalism and stuff. I'm trying to, working on this book about Alzheimer's for a while because my mom suffered for, I took care of her for a few years and I'm just trying to give a firsthand, like non, I don't want a technical, I don't want a medical book. I want the dealing Sure. I wanted how what a caregiver is like, especially when your caregiver is your, you know, you're looking over your mother. You know, the, the juxtaposition between children and adults changes. You know, now they're the child, and it's, you know, with children, being a parent, I understand. I I don't understand being a parent because I don't have a child, but 
every day is a growth for them. Every day is something new they've, they've gained. When you're dealing with Alzheimer's, you know, you think that you've improved and they realize that the day just starts over for them. They haven't gone anywhere in their mind. Like, you know, like my mom broke a hip and through therapy, you and I could go to therapy and go, I feel better today than I did last week. But for her every day, the same pain is a, a, just the same pain. It's never getting better, never getting better. Cause all pain is just it's tough, man. Relative. Right. So, yeah. So I think writing is good, man. A thing I love about the fact that you write, and John has other interests outside. I love hearing about people's interests outside of this business. I love we have friends that like ride horses and are into that stuff or like, you know, they're painters or whatever. I just love that aspect because we all do this stuff. But I want to know what people do that kind of like supercharges them, you know, because at some point there are times when this thing just becomes a, a job, right? It's just For my sure. career. So I pay the bills. But what we live for is our hobbies, whether it's photography or Again, like, you know, I wasn't writing I mean, a, lot either. a marathoner. Do it now. I was just keeping a journal most of the time. I wasn't writing mm-hmm. like all the time I had written you know, I wrote a, a feature film that Warner Brothers distributed. I wrote a song for Darius Rucker. So I had dabbled a little bit in some writing and I was really friendly with Michael Grace. Michael wrote Poltergeist and the and cool world and stuff. I call him. He's like a real writer. And I I called him when I was he was the one who told me to write the book. He had been pushing me for years. And I called them and I was laughing. I'm like, you know what, dude? I'm like, it's really hard to write a shitty movie, but it's really, really, really fucking hard to write a shitty book, man. <laughs> and he's like, well, yeah, that's why I don't do him. And he just realized it was like, Jesus is a lot. And then I hit him up. I'm like, yeah, like I just worked it out on the computer. It's like 500 pages. He goes, you're fucking done, brother. I'm like, I'm done. He goes, yeah, that's a lot of shit to read. So I was like, I'm done. And then it goes into the editing mode. And that was actually enjoyable because you might think you have a good command on the English language. I thought I was decent until you start editing and realize that you say the word just all the fucking time. And you don't need to say just that often. Uh, And there's like these little things and you're learning about yourself. It was interesting to go through. Uh, You always put the comma there. That's not where the fucking comma goes, dude. (laughs) Oh, you just throw it into Grammarly and let them have a field day with it. And you go, God, I have 743 mistakes. And it is. It's actually cool. Word tells you so much of this stuff. But then every now and then word is incorrect. And you're like, no, that's not what I wanted. Microsoft. Get back. And then Amazon jumps on and they're like, this word is wrong. And you're like, it's fucking not wrong. Shine down is one word, you bastards. <laughs> so I don't know. It, it's yeah. it was interesting. It was fun. It, I just think it I think it I think in life, throw your hat and see where it lands, you know, and just keep cruising. I I wouldn't have thought you'd you would think that you'd be doing ship rock or anything like that, you know, 30 years ago. It, pretty like no that was a that was just a weird thing again that's just another one of those things is like you know i met alan through an old old girlfriend they went to high school together in arkansas yeah we went to her house for like thanksgiving one year and he and i just started talking and then a month later he was like he was at the time managing vince neal and he goes hey man i'm doing this celebrity like kind of like celebrity thing out of this this charitable golf tournament in malibu for Vince's daughter, Skylar, and, uh, or in honor of her, yeah, come out here and just come out and play. Fuck yeah, I'm coming to play. I mean, yeah. it's so funny. The first afternoon, I'm like, I'm not, I don't really partake, but if Judd Nelson asked you to go smoke a joint with him in his blaze in his trailblazer, his Chevy Tahoe, you do that. Yeah. Just for the experiences, right? So, 
that's how I became friends with Alan. And then he goes, Hey, I'm a year later or two. He's like, Hey, I think I'm gonna do this cruise thing. I said, well, count me in. He was like, well, can I help? Can you come help me like the, a little bit? I said, yeah. And then I started getting into like bringing brands on board. So branding and PR. And then I kind of, my roles kind of switched to becoming more of the, 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 uh, the consumer engagement and things like that. And then doing some hosting things in the ship. So it's just kind of, it morphs. You just kind of, but my favorite thing I always laugh about Shiprock is that one of the other guys that the operations guy, Al, my favorite part of Shiprock was like a few years ago. It was like three o'clock in the morning, long day. You're kind of toasted, but you're still wired. He's like, Hey man, we got to find stanchions. We got to find all the stanchions on the ship. Cause we have to take them back to the rental company. So stanchions? just stanchions, you know, you know, stanchions, right? You know, when you go to a movie marquee and you're lining up, it's like the stretched out ribbon. Oh, all right. Race things. Yeah. That's hang yeah. onto a pole. Sure. So you have to find this stuff. It's expensive shit. So just going from like the top of the ship all the way down the, the find like 70 extensions. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. It was like a game of clue. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, this is so, this is so fun. This is the parts that people don't see about the business. Like, Oh, you it must be so fun working in music. I'm going, you have no fucking idea. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I will say, I do say it's a lot of work and you, Hell yeah, it you is. have it to is be fun. tough. It's, it's, it's fun work. You know, it's like, you know, man, I'd rather be doing that than no offense to anyone. I don't want to be sitting behind a desk, like moving a pencil across a piece of paper. I have to do that anyway, but I don't. Yeah. Don't give me shit. You know, I haven't really ever had a job where I had a clock or, or any kind of office or anything like that. And people, you know, so what's it like? I'm like, well, you just work all the time. Like, so what does that mean? Is that fun? And then like the benefit, oh, I'm my own boss is what everybody tells you. But the difference I think is, is like, I don't mind working hours because I, I, I always work. It's part of my life and that's it. You're always, always working. The difference could be you're working on shit you want to be working on. Right. Yeah. That's the yeah. difference. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it, no, 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 that's absolutely worth it. It's like that grind, you know, the, 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 the sleepless nights, the, I got a bad back because the bus was not, you know, whatever it might be. It's, and you look back around and you're like, you, you, you can't wait to get back to it once you're done with it. Right. Like you miss it. Yeah. yeah. Well, the road, you know, that was the biggest thing, especially with the whole COVID thing. You know, it's like, that's your family. When you get home, it's weird. You can't, people ask you what the fucking tokens for. And you're like, well, ugh. so the tokens, was like a brother in arms thing with my, with the guys that I work with. I don't know. It's, it, it's a thing we got. You know, so they don't get it. They're not your niche. They're not your world when you're at home. But then you go back on the road and then you miss home. <laughs> you know, so-and-so gets married or so-and-so dies and you can't make it because you're in Romania or something. Mm-hmm. So it's it's tough on your psyche because you're you just don't ever feel like you fit. At least that was it for me. And then, you know, I left because I just wanted to try to do other things with life. But I was young enough to be able to do it. And I knew that. I knew I could jump ship <laughs> and try other avenues so um the guys that are lifers i think are the toughest motherfuckers out there i think they're the great guys i love it so i love having young people on here but the old timers are they're great you know <laughs> yeah and I, I think what's interesting with that thing as they get older they're starting to be phased out too and they're the people that they're they dinosaurs them. They've done this their whole life. They can't do anything else. It's almost like everyone jokes like the minute Keith Richards stops doing drugs or drinking, he's going to die or Ozzy. Well, possibly because I, these roadies can't do anything else. And no, I, and they I don't, don't know how. I, There's a few of them. They can't retire. They don't no, have. No, and, and I hate – I always think like – and I know the roadies, are like 
they're always like, oh, I love being a roadie. Part of me is like, there's a better word for that. You are a, you're a technician. You're a, like, uh, roadies always comes off as very. Well, it used to be like brash, a brash term, I think. Yes. Because everybody thought yeah. dumb roadie, dumb roadie. Right. But now, now not, the roadies are like. the smartest men and women I've ever met. And it's just. lessons that aren't necessarily learned in school. A hundred percent. The road will chew you up and spit you out if you don't take it seriously. And I mean, that for me, that's, that's just a great lesson. Like there's so much day-to-day life out there where it's like, if you have a bad issue at home, whether it's a, you have your personal demons, mental health issues, or a sick kid at home or a dying parent, or your best man at a wedding you can't go to because you are in Romania or whatever. Those are all stuff you, the people that are really good out in this industry are the ones that can micromanage all that stuff and suppress it. It toughens you up. It's showtime. You know, when I went to, sorry. No, go ahead. I went to work for the Cranberries. I was replacing a guy who had to go home because his mother was ill. And so when I went out, for whatever reason, my dad hit the skids really, really bad. And he ended up going into full intensive care. He, He was in ICU. Well, I couldn't tell anybody because they just replaced that guy a few weeks ago for the same thing. So then you come home and you see your pops like in the hospital bed. But the idea in your head is like, do I go back out on the road because someone needs to pay the bills for the family or do I stay? So like one of the really bad feedbacks I got on the book was like this selfish asshole leaves his dying dad and goes back on the road, you know, and to go party in Mexico City. But the, but you know, it wasn't the truth. The truth was, is, is, uh, yeah, I drank cause I was down there. Cause what the fuck am I supposed to do about fixing back at home? And also you're a young kid. It's rough, but who's going to pay the bills, man. You know, who's paying for a hospital bill. Dad didn't have medical care. So there's a lot that can go on in life, you know, and then you have no vent. You got no one to tell. So I ended up yeah. telling one buddy and then we just drank a shitload, which really helped. I'm sure. Yeah, but I think in situations like that, you have to, it's like anything where situations like, Hey, what would my dad want me to do? He probably wants you to get your back ass back out there and work. Go do what you want to do, son. I'll be okay. I'm okay. I've lived my life. I'm so gonna fucking, you go, go live yours. That's my, that's my way. You know, every day is a great yeah. day. Go out and like do what you can, you know, call, call your mom an extra time. Cause you have a, you have a five minute drive and just say hi or, yeah. yeah. All these little things make a lot. Make yeah. A lot. I think it's super important. I don't know if John's ever done. John, have you ever brought your, your mom or dad on the road with, just for a show? They come to a show. Uh, they come out, they've come out to shows. It's there, every time they see you cool. work though, backstage. Yeah, no, they, they totally get it. It's really cool. Cause it's the first time I'm always like, cause I don't, I'm, I take my job very seriously. And so yeah. I never have a lot of guests from back there. Cause it's like, there's already so much going on, but when they first see me out there, I, they, if, I guess like they really appreciate it. It's like, wow, there's so much going goes back here that the general concert goer has no idea uh, mm-hmm. what goes on in these shows. And so it's, it's fascinating. You no, know, it is. It's everything scheduled from meet and greets to eating, to working out, to uh, radio promo, to all this stuff. And it's like, man, there's so much going back here. Like you have to have your head on a swivel and uh, no, but they appreciate that. It's, and again, like you did with those kids and the parents, it's like you never know who's back there. If it's a, if I bring out a cousin or a friend who's in town, and just to kind of see, like, hey, you really want to do this industry? Well, this is what a, this is what Tuesday morning is in Wichita, Kansas. Yeah, <laughs> have at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, guys, it's been real fun having you on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Joel. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate it.
Thanks for watching. Don't forget to like and subscribe by clicking the round button on the bottom right. To learn more about me or the guests on the show, go to joelrody.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. The handle's Joel Rody. And don't forget, when you party like a rock star, don't be a dick. <laughs>